Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. If you want it to work for you as a business, you need to make sure that your information gets stored into customers' memories so that it's in there, but then it also needs to be retrieved at the right time. And the problem is, is we turn around and go, oh, what about going to X, Y, Z? And we went, oh, yeah, we went there 10 years ago and it wasn't very good. And you go, yeah, but <laughs> maybe in the last 10 years, something's happened. We know the peak end rule is based around what's the peak emotion, what's the end emotion, and therefore that forms a memory. Okay, Colin, so I want you to imagine that you are hanging out with a bunch of friends and it comes to be about mealtime and you all decide, hey, well, let's pop over somewhere and have dinner. Yeah. And so... What does that process look like typically for you? My guess is that it's possible people pull out their phones and, and open Yelp. It's it's possible people, you know, open the yellow pages if they happen to have those handy. And yeah. you were having dinner with your friends in 1985. You know, all of those things are possible. <laughs> I know my friends are old, but I yeah. have to say nobody pulls out any directories anymore. Old or maybe just well-prepared. I, I didn't mean for this to be negative. <laughs> They would normally say, oh, we went to so-and-so last week or we we like going there or we, you know, we've heard this place is a, is a good place to go. See, this is exactly it, right? So this is the process that happens a lot of times for, for a lot of things that we buy, for a lot of things that we experience. A lot of times the, the choice set that we have, the consideration set is generated by memory. Yeah. Kind of what we remember about what we pull up, you may say, well, what are the restaurants that are close to here? And people will, will start listing off stuff or you might say, well, well, has anybody heard of any place good? Yep. So that's what we're going to talk about today is, is memory and how are those memories retrieved and what can people do about it to make sure that they are in that set? This is a really important point. So it doesn't matter how good, if you're a restaurant owner, it doesn't matter how good your restaurant is. It doesn't matter how close it is to various locations. It doesn't matter how short the wait time is. If people don't remember your restaurant exists yep. at the time they're deciding to go out to eat, it's like your restaurant doesn't exist. Yeah, no, absolutely. And memory for the, the regular listener will know is one of my favorite topics. So looking forward to this one. Good. But yeah, I mean, let me give you a brief example. Yes. I was, um, Lorraine and I were talking, we've been, we've lived in the Sarasota area for the last 10 years. And I was saying to Lorraine, we need to start trying some different restaurants. And the problem is, is we turn around and go, oh, what about going to X, Y, Z? And we went, oh yeah, we went there 10 years ago and it wasn't very good. And you go, yeah, but <laughs> maybe in the last 10 years, something's happened. Maybe they've hired a new chef. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it was just a bad night. Yeah. But again, it's that memory of that happened 10 years ago and it wasn't great. So now you assume that nothing's happened in the intervening time. So, yeah. I mean, this is very much a rut that we fall into where, you know, you, you might pass three other pizza joints on your way to your regular pizza joint 
just because you didn't even remember that those other pizza places existed while you were placing the call to order your pizza. So we've talked about memory from several different perspectives because it's it's a big topic, a big area for research. A lot of what we talked about previously was how memories are formed, so how stuff gets stored in the memory. Today, I want us to focus more on the retrieval side. So there's two parts of this process if you want it to work for you as a business. You need to make sure that your information gets stored into customers' memories so that it's in there, but then it also needs to be retrieved at the right time. Okay. Let me give you an example. I saw an ad for a toothpaste brand, and I can't tell you exactly why, but I found the ad very compelling. Right? I watched it, and it was some like new whitening formula, and when I saw the TV commercial, I'm like, wow, that seems like a really great toothpaste and I should get it. And so the message was compelling. I was like, wow, this this seems really great. And I stored it in my memory. And then the next time I bought toothpaste, I went and bought exactly the same toothpaste I'd always bought before. And I got home and I was putting in my bathroom cabinet and I go, oh, shoot, I was going to buy that new toothpaste that I saw and I forgot. The sad thing is that you're really worried about this toothpaste. I I thought you were going to tell me about some new car that you were just about to buy, or maybe even some new axe that you were just about to buy. Well, we can talk about axes. (laughs) In fact, we haven't talked about axes in a while on the podcast. Made me a little antsy. Yeah, for those listeners that aren't aware, Ryan collects axes. I don't collect axes. I have an axe collection, but it's not like they go in a case somewhere. I use them all for different reasons. I live on a wooded property. We have to chop stuff up. Seems like I touched on a nerve there. (laughs) Okay, so back to your toothpaste. Well, (laughs) now I feel like toothpaste is a trivial example. (laughs) Let's pretend we were talking about axes. So I saw a commercial for an axe on the TV. No. But I didn't remember. I didn't remember the commercial when I was in the store. And sadly, it happened through like three rounds of toothpaste buying. Like I kept forgetting when I was in the store. And I don't know, how long does a toothpaste tube last? Two months? So this commercial that I found so compelling... It took like eight months before I actually bought the thing because I wouldn't remember it at the time. Now, the conclusion of the story is I did buy the toothpaste and it wasn't very good. So I went back to my And it wasn't very good. It wasn't. No, it was a big, I was fooled by the commercial. Oh, okay. All right. That's interesting in itself. Savvy marketing professor that I am, I was sucked in. (laughs) Okay. So what was happening there? I mean, what made the advert compelling in the first place and and why didn't it appear at the right time? Yeah. So for the first question, I'm, I'm less sure about, I think that they, you know, there was just something about the treatment that in the commercial that really seemed to make the case for me at the time. And I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly what it was. Right. The problem on the retrieval side was this idea of memory cues. So We've talked about how memory works on previous episodes of the, of the podcast. We've used this fishing net model where if you pull up one knot, the fishing net that's laid out on the floor, it's going to pull up other things around it. And let me just stop you there, mate, because I, I really like this fishing analogy or fishing net analogy. So just, again, if you haven't like listened to these. I'm obsessed with axes. Colin's obsessed with fishing. <laughs> I am. The main I am. And he likes this. Maybe we should get together when I'm fishing and then you could <laughs> lop the heads off the fish and we could cook them. We are an efficient so. team, you and I. We are. So the analogy of the fishing net is that the knots are effectively the memory. Yeah. And what you're doing when you're picking up the knot, one knot of the fishing net, you're picking up that memory 
but that memory is then attached with all the other knots and all the other, therefore, all the other memories. And I think that's a really good visual. Certainly, it helps me to think about this subject. Yeah, if we want to push the metaphor further, you can say that, you know, imagine you're in a shallow pool and the net is on the ground. And as you pull up some of those knots, they're going to break the surface of the water. And that would be like them entering conscious awareness. But you're also pulling up knots that don't actually break the surface, but are now much closer to the surface. So there's parts of your memory that are kind of implicitly activated that are just much more available, much more likely to influence you, even if they don't actually break the surface of the water into consciousness right. where you're aware that the memory is there. Right. The idea with the fishing net then is what then causes some of these knots in the net to be grabbed and pulled up? What activates these particular memories and then by association, the ones that are all connected to them? And there are several things we can, you know, direct our memory retrieval consciously so we can actively try to remember, okay, so what are restaurants near here? And try to direct that consciously. But there are also a bunch of kind of non-conscious environmental background cues. We've talked about the intuitive and the rational systems. I'm realizing this episode is really tying together a lot of previous things that we've talked about yep. on the podcast. We should have warned people there was homework to do before <laughs> this episode. <laughs> so the intuitive and the rational systems, your intuitive system is the part of your brain that does a lot of things behind the scenes. And one of the things that it does is it forms these memory structures. It ties the knots in the fishing net. And your intuitive system is always trying to be helpful to you. It's always trying to make you more efficient and faster, uh, make things easier for you. And so your intuitive system is behind the scenes, constantly scanning the environment, seeing what's going on. And if it thinks that there's anything that could be useful to you, it'll start to pull up those knots and bring them closer to the surface. So, oh, you're in the toothpaste aisle. Well, I know what's supposed to happen here. Well, you're supposed to, you know, Remember that you would go to these places that you usually go, and here's where the toothpaste is that you usually buy. And so let's bring all that stuff up closer to the surface. So I guess you could argue that the intuitive system is associative. Yes. You could argue that actually it's making the net. Yes. So it's pulling those things together and associating them together and going, hey, actually, this one goes with this one. Therefore, that helps form the memory. Yeah, and it does this in a very automatic, kind of thoughtless way, where if these ideas, if these thoughts, if these feelings co-occur a lot in your experience, then those knots are going to be closer together in that net. And so you're more likely to activate both of them at the same time. Right. Yeah, good. So the problem with the toothpaste example is that although it registered on a conscious level that, oh, I found this compelling and I like this, there was not enough of an association there that when I thought about toothpaste as a category or thought about the need to buy toothpaste, that the information in that ad was going to be activated and pulled up to the surface to influence me. That not was not well integrated into my memory structure where it needed to be in order for it to influence me. Right. So what needed to happen? Well, we needed a memory cue. There needed to be some environmental cue where the intuitive system would see something in the environment and go, oh, I know we're supposed to remember that toothpaste ad now. Right. So is there a way that we can implant in our messaging something that will draw that information up to the surface? So let me give you an example. This was a great study done by some people at Stanford 
they asked a group of people to keep a food diary for two weeks. So write down everything that you eat for two weeks. Um, this was a study that they were in. At the one-week mark, they asked them to come back into a different lab for what was ostensibly a different study. And they said, okay, so we're working with this nonprofit that's trying to encourage college students to eat more fruits and vegetables during the day. And so what they did is they'd show them one of two slogans. So they had you know, randomly assigned to two conditions. Some people saw the slogan, live the healthy way, eat five fruits and veggies a day. That was the slogan. And they said, so what do you think about this? You know, evaluate it, give us your opinion. In the other condition, people saw a slogan that was each and every dining hall tray needs five fruits and veggies a day. Now, I think we can agree both of these are pretty lousy slogans. They're, they're not. Yep, I definitely agree with that one. Yeah. But when they asked people, people liked the first one that I read better than the second one, and they thought that it was more likely to influence them, although people generally thought both of them were pretty lame. So people then went out and continued on with their lives, kept doing whatever they were doing, and then a week later they turned in their food journals. So what, what the researchers had then was a week of food eating, yep. and then this intervention where people were exposed to this message, and then another week of food eating. They were able to observe. And what they found was the second slogan that I read you, each and every dining hall tray needs five fruits and veggies a day, was much more successful. Right. If anything, there was a slight decrease in fruit and vegetable consumption in the group that heard the first slogan, although I think it wasn't statistically significant. But there was like a 25% increase in the second group. And the reason that the researchers argued that the second slogan was more successful was not because it was better, not because it was more clever, not because it was more persuasive, but because it included a memory cue. Right. So it had this dining hall tray in the slogan. Right. And so when students would go into the cafeteria, the first thing they do is pick up a dining hall tray, and the intuitive system would say, oh, dining hall tray, there was something there. Oh, right. And it would pull up that net about eating okay. fruits and vegetables. So that's the associative bit of associating. That's the associative bit. Yeah, right. Okay. And so it found this environmental cue, and then it, it pulled up that part of the net, and even if it didn't break the surface, even if people weren't consciously aware of it, it brought it close enough up that it influenced their behaviors. They were more likely to eat fruits and vegetables because of it. And the interesting part, therefore, is that was being done at a subconscious level. So it wasn't that they were going, it's a dining hall tray. Oh, yes, that's the advert that I saw. But that was actually influencing their behavior at that subconscious level. Potentially, yeah. I mean, I don't know that they were able to track sure. information that precisely. It's possible some people, it was explicit. It's also sure. possible, I would say, even likely that at least some of this was implicit or non-conscious, where sure. just the idea of fruits and vegetables was kind of more activated or salient in the background, and that yeah. influenced them. Yeah, absolutely. Training your frontline team on how to create memories in your customers by evoking their emotions. Beyond Philosophy's unique and proven training methodology, Memory Maker Training. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So it makes sense to me that if you also have a visual or an audio cue, mm -hmm. 
So if that dining hall tray, that advert was associated with a picture of a tray and, I don't know, some colouring or something like that, and then that was placed at the beginning of the queue, oh yeah, that would have acted as, so you got the association of seat going, I'm just about to go and get pick up a tray, but you've got the association then of the image being the same image as the one that they've seen on the advert. Oh, yeah, that would be hugely helpful, right? So if at the time that they got the messaging, there was a picture of their own cafeteria at the trace pickup station, we would expect that that would be very effective, right? Because now we're layering these cues on top of each other, where it's not just the abstract idea of a dining tray. It's actually seeing that picture again. That'll remind us. So, yeah, the more we can kind of help out the intuitive system by giving it these cues that it can identify and then start to activate, that would obviously be the better. And the other part then, I guess, is also, I read a book once, which was good, called uh, Sonic Branding. Hmm. And so if you think of the Intel jingle, yeah, the three or four tones it gives, you know, that could, I guess, act as a cue. You're not going to sing it for us, Colin? Dung, ding, dong. How about that? (laughs) <laughs> I was setting you up. I'm surprised you went for it. Yeah, no, that was good. That was either the Intel jingle or my front door going. <laughs> <laughs> the other one was, therefore, what failed to happen in your toothpaste example, which still worries me about you. I take dental health very seriously. <laughs> Clearly. All I've got in life is axes and teeth. <laughs> But what they didn't do well enough or weren't allowed to do by the store that was selling it is they didn't do that associative. They didn't have an image. They weren't doing it. Or I guess the other argument is that there were so many other things that were happening that it created so much noise down that toothpaste aisle that it got lost. So you could argue that maybe there was some type of cue but it got lost because of all of the other 27 million cues that all the other brands were trying to attract you with. You know, that's for sure that's the case. But again, that's kind of back on the brand because that's always going to be true. You're very rarely going to get this kind of open space to play in. You're going to be in a very crowded space. I think that if they had included more imagery showing people at the store shelf reaching for the toothpaste brand... You know, it did have a a unique kind of color treatment on the packaging. So I think that that might have served well as a memory cue if I had noticed it when I was shopping. But yeah, if they could have given me the message and also given me implanted with the message some kind of memory cue associated with the environment, that would help. Yeah. I can give you another example, I think, of a firm that did this well. Yeah, go. So this is an obscure example. You're going to have to look this up on YouTube afterwards. This is a pharmacy chain in Quebec, Canada. So um, French-speaking area of Canada. And I show these ads in my MBA classes because I think they're just fantastic. So the pharmacy chain is known as Family Pre, F-A-M-I-L-I-P-R-I-X. And at the time that they started running this campaign, they were like the third favorite, most popular chain in, in this area where they were. So people liked them, they were fine, but they were always the third chain that you would think of. So you ask people, name a pharmacy, okay, name another one, okay, name another one, and, that, and that's where family would be. And this is a big problem if you're a pharmacy, because in most urban environments, you're equidistant from like three or four different pharmacies, no matter where yep. you are. So whichever one you remember first, that's where you're going to go shop. So what they did is they ran this very clever series of ads. They were short ads, 15 seconds, and they all had this format where they would show somebody in a situation where they would need something that sold at a pharmacy, 
and there would be a pharmacist standing in the scene wearing a white lab coat, pharmacy coat, and then whatever would happen would happen in the ad, and the pharmacist would go, aha, family prix. So like in one example, there's a couple watching TV and the husband comes in carrying a bowl of popcorn and he trips on the rug and smashes into the coffee table, you know, really hurting himself. And the pharmacist is standing right there and points at the guy and goes, aha, family pre. Another ad, it shows a baby with a fever and the parent stumbles in in the dark and flips on the light and the pharmacist is already there in the baby's room and points at the baby and says, ah, family pre. So they created all these ads that are very funny and very short. But it created this cue so that if you stubbed your toe, if you uh, cut yourself, if you got sick, if your child got sick, there would be that part of your associative mind that would go, oh, uh, that's right. Now, this is an opportunity for family brief for this pharmacy chain. Right. Good. Yeah, I like that. So when you start to think about this, then what was making me think as you were talking was the link through to emotion. Yeah, So again, regular listeners will know that we've talked in the past about the peak end rule and uh, Kahneman and how memories are formed. And I'm not going to go into all of that now, but we know the peak end rule is based around what's the peak emotion, what's the end emotion. And therefore that forms a memory because, you know, if you think about memories that you have an emotional attachment or there's like an emotional attachment a bit like a i always think about it as a as a file on a email you know that's got you open up this emotion in there right and what they were doing there i guess is with the humor or what organizations are doing brands and that are doing is that they're trying to do something to evoke that emotion that either is humor or whatever else that therefore makes that more memorable that stores that in your brain so when you see that again then you making that association as well from that perspective yeah the emotion works for several reasons emotions do tend to facilitate storing things in memory emotions also like if they're positive emotions especially they can become then associated with your memory of the brand so now you feel happy when you think about this brand because they've made you laugh before humor is especially effective at storing things in memory. In addition to that, though, they also had this memory cue embedded in all of their messaging, which was not just encouraging you to remember it, but also to store it in memory, but also to retrieve it from memory at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the key thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and again, I was thinking, and you know that we do this, what we call authentic emotion measurement. I was thinking back to your comment about you don't remember the toothpaste advert. We've had a Professor Hedgecock on before where we've been talking about facial expression. And therefore, a lot more organizations are starting to use facial expression on adverts to find out what emotions are being evoked. And where we've used it with our clients has been around, you know, looking at the digital experience. So what emotions are being evoked in that digital experience? And are they the right emotions that you want to be evoked? The connection I'm trying to make with your toothpaste advert is that clearly it didn't do that good a job because you can't remember it. (laughs) Does that make sense? Or I can remember it and I'm just too embarrassed to tell you why I found it persuasive. But yes, one of those two things. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I must admit, I find the whole subject of memory absolutely fascinating.
what's the key takeouts? Let's get to our usual bit of what does this mean that people should do if you're taking away this from a practical sense? So the most practical advice that I can give you around this is when you are planning your experience for your customers, when you are designing an offering for your customers or messaging for your customers, think through not just what is necessary to get it into their heads, but also give some thought as to when you need them to retrieve it. So at what point on the customer journey, at what point you know, geographically, physically, when does that message need to come back to them to be retrieved from memory and influence them? And think about the environments there. So think about the context, think about what the customers might be doing, and see if you can embed in your messaging or in your experience these memory cues that will facilitate retrieval later so that people can actually remember the message or remember their previous experience at the right point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And to add to that, I would add that when they're thinking about the storing the memory is think about that from that emotional perspective. So think about, and we've said this a lot of times before, which emotions drive and destroy most value for you. And you can undertake, we undertake research that can define that. Therefore, what you're wanting to do is to evoke that emotion at that sort of storage stage as well. The other part for me is on the retrieval is think about, A, think about what everybody else is doing, what's the competition doing. And it's a bit like my son works for uh, BBH in London. And they've got this great phrase, which is when everybody zigs, we zag. Mm -hmm. So in other words, do something different. Because the danger is, is that you're going to just, everybody's, when they're trying to sell toothpaste, the danger is, is everybody's just doing the same thing. So to your piece about the environment, think about the fact that they could be walking down a toothpaste aisle and everybody's got the same type of thing. So a visual cue, etc. So how can you make that stand out? And I think by using this whole area of understanding the customer at this much greater depth is a really good tool for people. So I hope everybody remembers this episode. If you haven't heard about the previous memory podcasts that we do, then go back and look at those. I think this subject is absolutely fascinating. And, you know, when you think about customer loyalty, customer loyalty is you know, a function of memory. One thing I would ask you to do is to share this podcast with people. If you found this interesting, if you found our other podcasts interesting, please just tell one person today or tomorrow. Just tell one person to come and listen to it. That would be really useful to us. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks, everybody. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.